This is Happy Lifestyle Online Show, where we talk about viewpoints and experiences on what it takes to have a fulfilled and happy life. Join host Lisa Caprelli as she brings stories and experiences from leaders, entrepreneurs, professionals, and creative people making a difference in the world. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to Happy Lifestyle Online. Today, I am so excited. Uh, what a privilege it is to welcome Joe Garner to Happy Lifestyle Online. Welcome, Joe. Hi, Lisa. Nice to be with you today. Yes. Yeah, so every time I say your name and Joe Garner, six-time New York Times bestselling author, I don't even know how you say it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't say it too often, uh, but uh, yeah, it's... it's um, uh, you know, it's still something that I um, have to get my head around on occasion, um, especially because of the fact that I came to it so unexpectedly. I mean, I had zero aspirations of being an author. Um, I just had an idea for a book one day, and I've always been a collector of, uh, I have a lifelong love and passion for radio and television and history and how they all intersected and infected each other, uh, affected each other and so forth. And um so when I had the idea for a book and I got up the nerve to share with old friends and family that I was thinking about doing a book, my oldest and dearest friend said what only old dear friends can get away with saying, which was, don't you think you ought to try reading one before you write one? <laughs> but, um, you know, as, as Steve Jobs used to say, don't let the opinions of others uh, drown out your own passions. And uh, yes. so, so I also learned that uh, the good Lord looks out for the ignorant and the persistent and the key is to be the right mix of both. And, uh, you know, sometimes that dose of ignorance is is, uh, is a good thing because, um, you know, if you, I mean, think of the things that you've tried and, and you know, were not successful at, and if you'd have, or were successful at, better yet. But yes. if you'd have known all the way you could have failed along the way, um, you may not have ever tried it. So sometimes it's good to just dive in and hope for the best. Yes. Well, I'm so honored uh, that you're with us. And I have to tell you that I love knowing authors. I love people because you actually published your work, you know, versus people saying, one day I want to write a book. I'm sure you hear that all the time. As the st statistics show, 84% of people have an idea for a book or, or want to write one. And I think that it's less than 3% actually do. So honor you for that. Um, and so for those of you joining us, um, Joe's a friend. I've, I've had the privilege of interviewing him about two summers ago uh, for a book called Skip a Step. And that's set to come out um, early in 2019. And so Joe was actually one of the first interview that my co-author Michael Ashley and I um, got to interview Joe at my friend RG's house in Redondo Beach. I remember it was like like it was yesterday, Joe. And it's so we're so excited, my team. We have our camera girl there, uh, uh, Monica, who was on the show earlier this season. Um, she's now working at a news station as a news anchor. And, and so uh, your story, we're just like, our mouths are dropping with all these incredible story and nuggets you have. Um, and then before I go into, I have so many things I want everyone to hear about you. So Michael Ashley, the first, uh, my co-author for Skip a Step and Joe Garner just published a book. Mm -hmm. It's Saturday morning. And we'll talk about that later. But again, Joe Garner is a six time, not for one time, which just to be one time New York bestselling author in your lifetime would be a dream come true for anyone. Six times. So take us back to the first time and tell us about when you were told you were on the New York Times list. It's You were in Chicago and and you fill in the story. Yeah. Well, you know, like I said, I came to this accidentally. So, I mean, I was constantly reacting to things. And, um, but, but when the book was introduced, the book's called We Interrupt This Broadcast, and it's currently out in its fourth updated edition. Um, when it was um, first introduced at the Book Expo of America, it, it, I mean, it was really catching fire. It was amazing. I, I get these phone calls from the publisher saying, you know, we just got 75,000 orders. We just got, you know, we're up to 150,000 orders and so on and so So, you know, I kind of knew that there was something going on, but um, when they asked me to come to Chicago to do uh, media, uh, it was uh, about this time of year. In fact, um, right around this week, um, all those years ago. 20 years and ago. I was, 
uh, 20. The first one came out in October of 1998. And by December, around December 12th, it hit the New York Times bestsellers list. Wow. And the way I found out was I was uh, staying at um, the Marriott on Michigan Avenue. And right across the street was the Heritage Radio Station in town, WGN in Chicago. So I was in there to do an interview and uh, they came to me and said, Joe, there's a phone call for you. And uh, it was the publicist from my publisher, uh, then Sourcebooks. And uh, she said, um, you're on the extended list. And I said, and what is that? <laughs> and she said, well, the top 15 books are considered New York Times bestsellers. Then it goes from 16 to 35, and that's the extended list. And uh, then she called back just a few minutes later, and she said, we made a mistake. She said, um, you aren't on the extended list. You're on the main list. So from here on out, no matter what happens in your life, you can always say that you're a New York Times bestselling author. And I was stunned, needless to say. <laughs> and I got back to the hotel to get ready for the evening. Uh, there was a book signing. And uh, all of a sudden, there's a knock on the door. And I'm just in a towel. I was showering and so forth. <laughs> And I looked out through the keyhole and I see this um, bellman holding a bucket of champagne. And so I quickly got on some clothing and, and had him come in and he set the bucket of champagne down. And there was a card that's from my publisher saying, congratulations on becoming a New York Times bestselling author. Yes. And I thought, how sad is this? I'm in this hotel room all by myself. <laughs> So I thought, you know what, what the hell? I'm going to celebrate with all of Chicago. So I opened up the curtains, fully clothed by that time, opened <laughs> up the poured a glass of champagne and toasted the city of Chicago um, on getting this honor. So it was a thrill. I, I, I still get goosebumps thinking about it. That's a wonderful story. So tell us um, about, you said earlier, your quote, the Lord, Lord looks after the ignorant and persistent. What yeah. your when you had the idea for this book because you had never written anything, and, mm -hmm. and take us back into um, you come from a family that never told you you could not do anything. Say say that again. What, what you came you came from upbringing where you you were never told no, so you never had. Well, uh, again, no, I wasn't like a spoiled you know, but but no, we right. were always encouraged. Follow. Yeah, whatever your path was, um, you know, whatever your passions were, I, uh, that, uh, you know, rarely do you have um, sort of landmark moments in your life where you have the the photographic evidence um, mm -hmm. of that moment. And, and, you know, fortunately, I do. I, when I was uh, nine years old, I was, I was bitten by the showbiz bug, probably at birth. Um, okay. And I was, I grew up in the middle of the cornfields out in central Illinois. And uh, my only touch with um, Hollywood um, was whatever I saw on television or when I'd ride away for an autograph um, or uh, every summer in July when I would go to um, the annual convention of my, the company that my dad worked for at the time, Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance, because they always brought in big name talent. And so you're going to have to go back to 1969, but at that period of time and for decades prior and decades following, uh, the biggest star on the planet was a guy named Bob Hope. And somehow in my nine-year-old um, imagination, I thought that somehow if I could meet Bob Hope, that my show business ambitions would be furthered by that experience. And so I sat down and wrote a letter to the then president of Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance. And I can only imagine my parents must have been mortified. But, you know, I just, so I sat down and I wrote him this letter that, uh, you know, my dad's always talking about setting goals. And so I've got this goal of meeting Bob Hope and that if there's any way you could help me uh, achieve that, I would be grateful. Right. And uh, sure enough, about 10 days later, we got a letter from Francis E. Ferguson, then president of Northwestern Mutual Life, saying that he would be happy to help me uh, achieve my goal of meeting Bob Hope. And my parents were stunned, as you <laughs> of can imagine. they were. So yeah. there we are on the night, it was in July, 
1969 at Brewer Stadium in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. My dad and I went to the what in essence was the third baseline, which is where we were instructed to go. And the PR guy came, rushed us into the um, uh, into the locker room area. And uh, to this day, when I smell cigar smoke, that was my first uh, sort of sensory memory, I think. Yeah, uh, because all the men were all, you know, rustle around. Here comes Bob Hope. And who? why is he coming? Well, he's coming to meet this little kid from uh, Macomb, Illinois. And that's exactly what happened. And um, so I, I guess that that obviously had such an impression on me that from that day forward, I'd always lived by the creed that the worst people can say is no. And so, you know, there's no harm in that. And right. so fast forward to when I got the idea to do, uh, we interrupt this broadcast. I, I mean, did, did you want me to share how that story yes. happened or? Yes, oh, yes, okay. yes. So your first I didn't want to just keep mm, the, talking you, away here. You interrupt this broadcast and for, for millennials that don't have worked around that time, this is a good message for them on how you came up with that idea as well. well I, so so I was working for Westwood One Radio Networks at the time and I'd been with the company, gosh, by the time I left, I think I'd been there about eleven years. I, I spent prior to publishing, I had the good fortune of spending most of my uh, career in broadcast. I started at sixteen a little radio station in my hometown, first commercial um, uh, job. And then fast forward I, I worked for Westwood One um, at the time that I was thinking about that I had the idea for the book and what had happened was we were, it was like I said, the late nineties and we were having a, a programming meeting uh, where we were thinking about what kind of um, uh, uh, audio programming, what kind of radio programming to create, to commemorate the passing of the 20th century into the 21st century. Right. And um, so, you know, so we're talking about events like um, the Kennedy assassination and the Apollo 11 moon landing and uh, the first Gulf War and that sort of thing. And and uh, I was just struck by how everybody in that meeting had a story to tell about where they were when. And I got back to my office and I, it wouldn't, I, I couldn't let it go. I, I, I was thinking about how these moments had become more than just defining moments in history. They'd become the benchmarks in our lives. And we all had a, had a story to share about those moments. And then it occurred to me that every one of those moments um, were introduced to us with the same four chilling words, we interrupt this broadcast. And in that instant, that's when the whole idea for the first book hit me. And I thought, my gosh, we live in such a wonderful age because our history is literally recorded. So if I could put together a book of these landmark moments, that's really the only common denominator of all of the, um, uh, of, of all of the chapters in the book is that they are landmark moments in history and benchmarks in our lives. And um, again, like I said, we live in an age where our history is literally recorded. So I thought if I could include the actual, um, uh, you know, uh, bulletins and news coverage, um, remember this is the late 90s. So CDs were still, you know, uh, the, the, the main um, medium. So I, I thought, well, those would easily tuck into the back cover of a, of a book. Yes. And it just seemed like yeah. a, it seemed like the kind of book I wanted to own. So um, I took a book off the shelf of broadcast history because I figured that, you know, a publisher of broadcast, you know, some book on broadcast history would be the one that would be interested in this book. And I looked at the name of the publisher and I called him. And that cold call led to the next one and the next one and a whole lot more after that. And after sort of being blown out by every publishing house in New York City, um, you know, because who was I? I had no, uh, could have. <laughs> Credibility is you, you had incredible determination. Fear, no fear, no. <laughs> well, right? you know, they, as one publisher said to me, and, and wound up being my publisher later. Yes. She said yes. to me, um, I said, you know, it's going to be a, you know, I envision a big, you know, hardcover, um, you know, iconic photographs, the photographs that are inextricable with the memory of the event. Um, and then the audio and stuff. And she stopped me and she said, Joe, um, why don't we do this as like a trade paperback? It'll be less expensive and that whole thing. And I said, and I'll never forget it. Her name was Christine. I said, Christine, I said, I don't think you understand. This could be something really important to people. It's like, it's like um, 
sort of a national scrapbook that everybody, you know, would would um, appreciate. And I think she finally had enough of me. And she said, um, Joe, let's not put art ahead of commerce. And I said, Christine, I don't think we're going to be doing this book together, are we? And she said, ah, perhaps not. So I wound up being introduced to a publisher in, of all places, Naperville, Illinois. And uh, I met with her out here. And uh, she looked at me and she found, and she said, look, I'm going to do this book on one condition. And I said, what's that? And she said, you agree to go out and promote it. Because if you've just sold me, you'll sell the American people. And coming from broadcasting, to me, that was the easy part. So spent the next six, eight months writing it, collecting the photographs, getting the archival audio together. And just before we published, I had the idea of having somebody on a name on that book cover that really embodied um, broadcast history. And uh, at that time, Walter Cronkite was still alive. And so I wrote him a letter. And I didn't know him. I didn't know anybody who did. Um, so I, I, as I said, I, I just wrote him a letter and poured every ounce of my passion into that letter and explained to him that I thought that a book like this, that um, his words uh, should be the first in this kind of a book. And uh, about 10 days later, I got a phone call from his chief of staff saying, Walter would be happy to write the foreword to your book. And so we put his foreword on there and uh, the book came out in October of 98. By December, it hit the New York Times bestsellers list, just changed the whole course of my life. That's amazing. So what did that teach you about persistence, determination, not giving up? Well, it just, it just sort of underscored what I already knew about persistence, you know, that um, it, it, things take hard work, you know? You just, um, you know, I say that, and at the same time, it didn't feel like work. It just felt like it was, um, there's like things that just kind of, yeah, in essence. Yeah. And it's kind of like, well, Walter's waiting out there, just go knock on his door, you know, that kind of thing. And, um, but I, so I've always believed that I've always, you know, I, I, um, you know, as long as you're not going off half cocked, you know, and if, if you've got, um, you know, an idea that you, you really have, you know, given a lot of thought to and so forth. You know, as I said, you may not know all the pitfalls that are laying in front of you, but you know, you, you've got a real sense that this is something that could be, and, and you think about it from their standpoint. And that's why I said, you know, this is, you know, this book is unique. Um, and it's something that, uh, because of the subject matter, I felt that, yes. um, you know, that would resonate with him. And it's the same, the subsequent books, I followed that up with sports editions. And uh, when I reached out to Bob Costas, um, again, didn't know him, didn't know anybody who did. Um, and I wrote him a letter book. explaining that I was, yeah, this was book number two, uh, called In the Crowd Goes Wild, and a similar sort of thing. Um, and I, uh, but I knew that he had an affinity for, uh, for uh, sports uh, broadcast history, and that, uh, that this subject matter would, you know, would, would resonate with him. But, um, but that was another whole test in, in persistence, because I, I met with the um, head of rights and clearances for ABC Sports. She had, in We Interrupt This Broadcast, I had the, the assassination of John Lennon. And um, oddly enough, uh, for people who remember hearing of that moment, uh, they associate it with Howard Cosell because most people were watching Monday Night Football. If they were watching television, they were watching Monday Night Football. And it was Howard Cosell who made that announcement. So um, to... Uh, complete that chapter, I needed to license uh, that audio of Howard Cosell from Monday Night Football. So that introduced me to um, ABC Sports. And um, I went back to her and I said, um, Louise, I'm thinking about doing a sports edition of We Interrupt. You know, the the, the iconic stories, the, the photographs, and the actual play-by-play. -play. Yes. And she sat back in her seat and she said, I can't believe you're going to try this. And naively... <laughs> I said, well, what's the difference? I mean, you know, I license the news, well, you know, I'll get the sports. And she said, but you don't understand. The, the ownership is shared between the leagues and the networks. So before we can even begin to negotiate with you, you're going to have to be licensed or sanctioned by Major League Baseball, the NFL, the NBA, the National Hockey League, the United States Olympic Committee. And I see you have the 1980 Borg McEnroe Wimbledon bouts, so the All England Lawn and Tennis Club is also going to have to give you approval. Right. 
And um, after she finished, I said, so, and if I get all those approvals, will you license me the, uh, the audio? And she just sort of cynically said, sure. And um, so my next call was to CBS Sports, her colleague. And I'm glad I called her second, because if I called her first, I probably wouldn't have been able to do the book. Yeah. But she wouldn't take my call, wouldn't take my call, wouldn't take my call. And so I kept calling at all these odd times to hopefully catch her off guard. And I found you call at very early in the morning and uh, got her on the phone. And she immediately dismissed me. She said, Joe, we would never participate in a project like this, nor will any of the other networks. <laughs> and I said, well, Deanna, if you give me 30 more seconds, I'd like to tell you about my conversation with your colleague over at ABC Sports. And she did, and I gave her the, the story, and there was a long pause, and she finally said, we'll do whatever ABC does. And then NBC followed suit and Fox, and so, then it was a process of getting out there and talking to all the leagues and the networks and getting their, um, you know, getting their 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 uh, blessings. And fortunately, I did. And we put uh, and the crowd goes wild out. And um, knock wood, it hit the New York Times bestsellers list. And and actually, it 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 became so popular, it brought we interrupt this broadcast back on the list. So I started the new year. With two of my books on the bestsellers list simultaneously. Yeah, that was a little surreal to tell you the truth. Um, you know, I was just so, again, like I said, I just, it wasn't what I had planned on. And right. at one point, this is this is the height of naivete. And this is before um, social media. Before. This is before social media. Oh, yeah. This is, yeah, this is way before so, social media and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. It took a, yeah, it so, was a little, it was I, harder. Say again? It was harder. You had, oh you yeah, had, it was yeah. all about getting on television and radio and in newspapers and that sort of thing. And and uh, th this was, as I was saying, this was the height of the naivete. Bob and I did uh, Morning Edition on uh, on NPR, and uh, we did in the morning. And by that afternoon, uh, and the crowd goes wild was number two on Amazon, right behind Harry Potter. Wow. And. I got on the phone and I called our publisher and I go, how do we get around this damn Harry Potter book? <laughs> I just had no idea, you know? Yeah. So she just did exactly what you did. Like you said, she just laughed and told me to calm down. And so anyway, uh, it, it's, it's been a, it's been a wonderful ride. I've just enjoyed every second. Okay. So tell us books three to six and then I'll ask you the next question. Oh my gosh. Okay. In very quick succession. Came out with a sequel because I knew sports fans would beat the crap out of me for only having 47 events in the in the first sports book. And I did that on purpose. A, we couldn't include everything in one volume. And B, I wanted to keep an odd number so that people go, oh, this is what you think are the 50 greatest moments. So I purposely, you know, put it in an odd number. So we did, um, and the fans roared. Uh, then uh, I did a book about Notre Dame football uh, called Echoes of Notre Dame Football, Great Memorable Moments of the Fighting Irish. I did that with uh, Regis Philbin. Um, and then uh, went to video, book and video, did a book called Stay Tuned, Television's Unforgettable Moments, and um, was very lucky to get Dick Van Dyke, Bob Costas, and Walter Cronkite to um, do the, the narration on that book, obviously dividing between news, sports, and entertainment. Then I did a book on um, called Now Showing Unforgettable Moments from the Movies uh, with Dustin Hoffman. And then uh, Made You Laugh, the Funniest Moments in basically the 20th Century Comedy, hardest book I ever did uh, because I learned very quickly that comedy is very subjective. What's funny to you may be offensive to somebody else or you know vice versa. And so that was unwieldy, but I was very lucky to get, uh, I had interviewed Carl Reiner and Rob Reiner uh, for the book to talk about the evolution of situation comedies, um, spoofs, romantic comedies, and that kind of stuff because of Harry Met Sally and and uh, its spinal, you know, uh, spinal tap. Um, and I couldn't figure out who to get to host the DVD. And um, so I called uh, George Shapiro. If you look at the end of a Seinfeld episode, it says Shapiro West production. Yes. And George, George was wonderful. I reached out to him immediately um, to ask if he would help consult on this book because he knew he's forgotten more about comedy than I was ever going to know. And, uh, and I knew that everybody would know George. So that was sort of my card of credibility. And, um, I said to him, I said, George, do you think Carl and Rob would, um, consider hosting the DVD? 
And he said, well, if they do, it'll be a first because they've never hosted anything together before. And I found that kind of strange. I thought father and son and, you know, being as close as they are and the fact that they share comedy and all that kind of stuff, I thought that they'd done tons of things. Yeah. And um, so uh, I got a call from George and he goes, go buy a lottery ticket. And I said, why is that? And he said, because this is your lucky day. So, yes. Yeah, so Carl and Rob Reiner uh, co-hosted that. Then I did a couple of small books. I did a book about uh, for Mother's Day, uh, you know, um, called Live as a Box of Chocolates and Other Motherly Wisdom from the Movies. Uh, then I did a, a small sports book about um, uh, sort of a Father's Day book, uh, Heroes, Legends, Dads. Um, and then uh, I did a, a book with Bob Costas again uh, called 100 Yards of Glory, which is about the NFL. Um, then I, oh, I, I did a book, uh, Jeff Gordon and I got to know each other in 2006 when I did a book called um, Speed, Guts, and Glory. Um, and that friendship lasted, uh, has lasted to this day uh, because he asked me to do his biography, which I did um, in 2016 uh, called uh, Jeff yes. Gordon is Drink, Drive, and Destiny. And now we've got, um, it's Saturday morning. So I think that's 13. Yeah, who wrote the forward for the book in 16? I remember... I was talking in to you. 16. Oh, um, oh, uh, oh, just this lone actor, um, Tom Cruise. I thought I'd give him a, a little boost, you know. So, yeah, Tom Cruise agreed to do the foreword to uh, to Jeff's book. Um, that Amazing. was fun. It was weird. Okay, I did you was that you your know, typical I mean, story? Did you write Tom Cruise or, or call him to get him? Well, what I did was I, I, I reached out to his um, to his publicist and um. And she she asked him, and I and so I said, look, I won't. There won't be any heavy lifting. Here's what we'll do: if Tom will give me 15, 20 minutes, then I'll interview him and record the interview, and then we'll transcribe that recorded interview, so it'll all be in his words, and then you will know, we'll edit it down, and I'll send it back to him, and then he can read it for his approval. And uh, then I got a call from his sister saying Tom would be happy to do this. I'm not exactly sure when. Um, then they narrowed it down to a day. He was in London shooting the mummy. And, um, you know, I'm still the kid from Macomb. I get, you know, I, I'm starstruck and I hope I never stop being starstruck. And all of a sudden, phone rings, you know, unknown. Pick up the phone. This is Joe Garner. Hey, Joe, it's Tom Cruise. How you doing? <laughs> hey, Tom, what's up, buddy? So he was wonderful. I mean, it was just, he was great. So yeah, it was fun. And we got Howie Mandel to do the foreword to this book. Yes. So uh, yes, to it's Saturday morning. And this is Joe's so it's, it's uh, been fun. latest book with Michael Ashley. And it's all in color. I mean, you just have to get it. So for those of you listening uh, or watching, this show um, also will be archived on iTunes and Spotify in, in early 2019. Um, you can Google Joe Garner. Um, his books are on Amazon and um, many of reviews out there positive. And so every time, one of the lessons I've learned is every time you have a best-selling book, it potentially, as it has in your case, helps all of them also rise to the rank because people kind of want more of your great work, right? Oh, well, thank you. Well, it depends on your interests, you know. I mean, uh, mm -hmm. it's uh, it's funny. I. <laughs> I probably shouldn't say this, but Jeff Gordon's stepfather said to me when we were doing the NASCAR book, he goes, Joe, you're not going to get caught in the line of NASCAR fans at a Barnes and Noble. And, uh, <laughs> but you know, it was, uh, it was fun. I feel like I've done one giant commercial. I apologize. I, that no, wasn't the intention really here. You know. Yes. Yes. Chris says love of the Saturday morning. Uh, Laura says amazing and inspirational. And Laura, uh, she's just finished uh, writing a book of poems. And so well, I know a lot of author or aspiring authors are, are going to want to be on here as well. And uh, or, and listen to this as I tag this for people who ever had a, a dream of writing a book. Uh, or, or Can I how to that to that end? Just yeah. real fast. You know, there, I mean, it, it's, look, it's an arduous task. It's terrible. It is, it's, it's horrifying to look at a blank screen and know that you've got to fill it. Um, and, and you, you, you're able to coach people on that and how to just get a routine down and that sort of thing. But, you know, one of the things that I've always encouraged people to do, especially if they're intimidated by writing is, you know, 
you can always tell your story. And there are all these wonderful um, voice recognition, uh, and they're getting better and better, these voice recognition programs. And if you can just talk your story, it doesn't matter where you start, start in the middle, start at the end, start wherever you're inspired to start. And then through, you know, people like Lisa and, and others, then, you know, they can help you get it edited. That's easy. It's just getting the story out. So, you know, if they're, if, if you're sitting there right now thinking, my gosh, my goal for 2019 is to finally get that book done, is to finally tell my story, then do it. And, and even if you literally talk it out, um, there are ways to get that then onto ink and paper and out to, out to the public and inspire people. Absolutely. Thank you, Joe. Share with us that uh, story that you have um, when the boxes would arrive and you would say to think this started with a thought. Yeah, I mean, I, to this day, you know, when when uh, it's Saturday morning arrived, uh, you know, there's, you know, it's always so, um, you know, nerve wracking because you, 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 you know, when you when you're doing the book, you know, you want to make sure that everything's accurate. And, uh, you know, you go through a number of um, revisions and reviews and all this kind of stuff. And so when they finally say it's gone to press, you just sit there and you pray and go, hopefully we got this right. And uh, then inevitably that day arrives where the box is delivered and uh, it's your first copies of the book. And um, you know, to this day, I'll always bring the box in and then I set it aside for a little while <laughs> and then I get up the courage to to open it up and then I still sit back for a little bit and then finally I'll reach in and I'll pull it out because you, you, you want it to match your, you know, your dream, what you envision, what you imagine right. it to be. And right. um, so, uh, you know, I and, and then I always get overwhelmed with you know, with actually seeing it and holding it and, and thinking to myself, you know, this was just a thought. This was a conversation. And then to all of a sudden being, you know, beholding the, the physical manifestation of that, um, you know, is, is always, you know, um, special and uh, sometimes, you know, overwhelming. Yes, that's amazing. Well, thank you so much, Joe. Uh, so um, some parting words for us uh, listeners and avid fans of yours. Uh, okay. What, what do you have in store for you now that you are an accomplished writer? I mean, you can hold that tile, hold your head high, and you've made a career of doing this, and, and it, that's a dream come true for many people, you know? So what, what, what has writing done for your brand and what else do you aspire to do? Because you have many more years to live on this planet. <laughs> You're not done yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I just, uh, I just, I just love uh, creating. I love, um, uh, you know. So I mean, I, you know, it's funny. You just never know where that next idea comes from. Perfect mm -hmm. example is is um, it's Saturday morning. Yeah. That was a conversation, literally. Uh, Michael and I were having. Where we were talking about, yeah, and I'm not doing this for another commercial, but I, uh, but, yeah. but literally, we were talking. About, there's about a 20 year age difference between Michael and I. Um, yes. I'm on and the Michael younger looks, end of the baby. And Michael person. looks younger than his age as it is, right? <laughs> Michael oh, yeah. Ashley looks like looks like he's 10. And um, uh, I, I, but we started talking about one aspect that we shared, um, and that was the experience of waking up, you know sound like an old guy but kids today don't know what it's like to have to wait all week for that experience of saturday morning cartoons it was that was big i mean the opening up your eyes on saturday morning and racing downstairs and God, you know grabbing that, that bowl God, of sugary cereal and yeah and then sitting in front of the television set for the next three or four hours and just letting those cartoons wash over you and so the more we started talking about that the more excited we got so called a publisher and said, hey, you know, we're thinking about this. And she got on board, too. She started sharing the same sort of, oh, I can still remember the pajamas I wear and, I, you know, all this kind of stuff. So we thought people, we thought it would resonate with people. We thought that yeah. people would love that opportunity to go back and relive that experience again. So that's what that book's all about. Big color photographs, all the commercials, too, because, 
you know, you, Saturday morning cartoons came with the sugary cereal commercials and the toys and all that kind of stuff. So we punctuate each of the chapters with commercials. So I have a Especially question for you. Especially from each era. I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. My my boyfriend actually has this, all these questions when he saw this book, and I was like, I know Joe, I know Michael, all this stuff. And then, so how did you get rights for all of this? Same way. I mean, uh, fortunately, See, Chris, now I've just Joe's answering you know, your question. Go ahead. People all know me now. So yeah, call Paramount and you know, hey Larry, getting ready to do another book. Um, hey Julie over at Warner Brothers, getting ready to do another book. So. You know, fortunately, uh, um, you know that that that's, you know, that's a skill I've picked up. So, it's uh, it's just that, a matter of getting on the phone and right. cajoling sure them. And a very pleasant experience, and, and I think that's stuff. what I when I speak to younger um, younger people, I always talk about collaboration and how key that is. And in listening to all your stories and memories of each of your books, it, it, even though you were the driving force, it really took collaboration of other people believing, wanting to help you, wanting to help a total stranger. So what what advice do you have for people on ideas and collaboration and making things happen? Well, to do that. And the other thing is, I'll give you a perfect example. When I did um, Now Showing Unforgettable Moments from the Movies, um, on that DVD, uh, I mean, it's, there's, probably 50, 60 years of movies on there in the sense that, you know, starting with The Wizard of Oz, Godfather, E.T., um, Lord of the Rings. Um, oh, my gosh. I mean, all these classic great uh, Casablanca on the waterfront, everything. Um, uh, Silence of the Lambs. Um, when that book came out, I got a phone call from the head of um, marketing at Paramount and inviting me to lunch. And I, I thought that was pretty thrilling. I was like, sure, I'd be happy to come over to Paramount and have lunch. So I walked into the dining room and before he even put his hand out to shake hands, he held up a copy of the book and he said, how did you do this? And I said, what do you mean? And he goes, you have the crown jewels of every <laughs> studio in this town. How did you do this? And I said, because I wasn't Viacom knocking on their door. I was just hey, my name's Show. I do these books, you know, I really think this would be cool. And if you, you know, and, and just, you know, let them, you know, basically what I did was I just shared my genuine passion. And, um, and, and sometimes and, uh, the year was a gatekeeper before on. you. Yeah. And as far as the collaboration goes, yes. uh, using Paramount is a perfect example. Um, one of the movies that I wanted, I can't remember which one it was. Um, um, it wasn't for that book. It was for the comedy book. And it was um, Eddie Murphy's Raw, if you recall, you know, his uh, live stage show. Right. And um, Paramount didn't have a copy of it. And so they said, look, if you find a copy, if, if you can get a, a, a copy of it um, and you give us a copy, we'll let you use it in your book. And that happened to me twice. I did that with We Interrupt This Broadcast, NBC Going back to the radio era, they used to have this thing called the four chime alert. Okay. You know, this is long before social media and, you know, cell phones and all that kind of stuff. Right. You know, we're all familiar with the bong, 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 right, for NBC. Well, they would add an extra chime, and that was an, uh, an audible alert to all of their news personnel to come back to the station or come back to the studio because there was a major event happening. Yes. And I wanted the four chime alert for D-Day, and um, they didn't have it. And so after tons of research... One of my researchers had um, uh, found it in the National Archive and went back to NBC and NBC said, if you'll give us a copy, we'll let you use it in the book. So there's been all kinds of, you know, those kinds of collaborative um, opportunities throughout the process. So as you uh, as you've done book signings through the years and, and meet people um, that and I know because I've written books, but I'm not a New York best time, especially not yet. I'll put there. it out there. Yes. Um, we'll be there. Yes. Well, it's it's so inspirational to hear from someone like you because it it makes the impossible seem possible when you really do have that passion for it. And again, you were the driving force. You didn't rely on a publicist, even though I'm sure you have had publicists in the years. It was you, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Initially, I mean, you know coming from media was a was a big boost because i i knew 
um, uh, you know, producers of, of uh, you know, again, like you said, when I first started, this was before social media. Yes. So if you can get on radio or television uh, or some major uh, print publication, you were sunk. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, you know, having come from radio, I knew that We Interrupt This Broadcast would be something that they would be interested in because not only did I come from broadcast, so I, I would be able to share the stories, but uh, because the book came with um, clips, uh, the producers loved that. So um, I started doing radio interviews and they started telling their colleagues, you know, there, there was this thing, still is called Bitboard. And it's about, you know, that, that um, morning shows will share information about, hey, I had this guy on or this lady on as a guest or whatever. And, you know, they did a great job. So it just sort of built this momentum. Right. And after a while, um, uh, I was starting interviews because living on the West Coast, morning drive in, in, in the East is 3 a.m. Pacific time. Mm -hmm. So I would start interviews at 3 a.m. here and go straight through to, um, oh gosh, sometimes eight, nine o'clock in the morning. So it wasn't unusual to do 15 back-to-back -back interviews every morning. Um, and because my books are all sort of gift books, um, the fourth quarter was a big time for me. So by late October through December 31st, uh, it was just constantly on the air doing radio interviews and going out and, and uh, you know, visiting cities and doing television and that kind of stuff. It was, um, you know, it was a blast on one hand, but it was a grind on the other too. Yes, that's wonderful. So Chris says, how about we interrupt this broadcast for War of the Worlds? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually there've been a couple of books and my publisher, my, my publisher, the publisher of We Interrupt This Broadcast actually did a War of the Worlds book. So it's out really? there, Chris, if you uh, look on, on Amazon. There you go. There you go. Uh, so uh, the world of social media today, um, what do you love about it? And if you, what do you, what is not the same? Well, I, what's frustrating for me personally is that I'm late to the party. I wish that I'd have started in social media a long time ago. And for everybody that's, that's listening, I would strongly recommend that you do everything possible. And, you know, I mean, there's a lot of companies out there that, oh, we can post your social media. But it's it, there's I don't think there's any replacement of just actually doing it, you know, um, as, as you, you know, you, you instruct people all the time, Lisa. So, you know, you just yes, have I'm to gonna, There's a plug. This is why I wrote Color Your Message. And when mm -hmm. I saw in 2009 the world changing for for marketing and inter social media and I was like, what's this thing? Twitter and and Instagram and and we're going to have to tweet and. And I wanted to have resistance, as I'm sure many people, you know, um, that are not millennials, you know, were trying to understand. And I knew that I was going to have to embrace technology and understand it and be able to teach it um, as I, you know, reach out to people who admittedly will say I'm a business dinosaur. You know, I don't know what to do. How do I catch up and how do I, I brand myself now? And um, someone just recently told me a story of, um, Will Smith, that he was late to the party on Instagram, per se. Mm -hmm. And now that he's using it, he has been known to say, I can't believe I never used this before. And that's just really yeah. helped raise his brand as well. Yeah, it's it's wonderful on the one hand, um, you know, because it does give you an opportunity to have direct contact, you know. Um, what's frustrating on the other hand is that everybody has opinions. <laughs> so yes. it's... Uh, you know, and and, um, and and not everybody is capable of self-editing, you know, yes. so it's... Um, yes, you know, yeah, it's, platforms it's, like Amazon and Kindle have made it easier for people to write. And so in a sense, it's more competitive. I look at it like YouTube and, and Facebook Live. If, you, if we would have thought 10 years ago that I could be interviewing like you like this anywhere in the world and record it and, and, and have a platform for it, so I look at it as, you know, innovation is necessary and uh, technology is anything invented after you were born. And mm -hmm. and I look at it as, as get someone to help you get a younger person. Uh, there's, you know, I still rely I, uh, on my boys now 28 and 13. Sometimes they're my, my IT support. <laughs> 
Um, and so I'm constantly asking them, teach me. And, and I don't know if you know this, Joe, but my 13-year-old, with the help of my older son, has a YouTube channel called Trey Jam. And it has over 70,000 subscribers, millions wow, of views, good. this 13-year-old. And we're like, how did you do this? And he said, mom, you gave me, thanks to you giving me a computer that was top of the line when I was seven. So for five years, you know, he plugged away in his room, learning video, learning editing, and doing these try not to laugh videos. And I'm very proud of him. And so are many people. And uh, so I, I think it's important to encourage the younger generation to, to utilize technology and not take advantage of it. Because imagine what all the tools today, if you could have known you had access to this way back when, before you were a first time New York best selling author, New York Times best selling author. Uh, you know, I just look at like, it's just so amazing that really anybody, you know, you listening to this can do anything you want to do when, when you put your mind to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, no, I wished I'd had, um, uh, I wished I'd had this when I was a kid. Um, you know, I can't, I mean, um, for me, like I said, I was bitten by the bug very, very early. In fact, my mother uh, used to love to tell that when um, she would have friends over for coffee in the morning and if the vacuum cleaner was out, we had a vacuum that had a long hose on it, I would pick up the hose and interview them. So, uh, or I couldn't wait for that last little uh, square of toilet paper to come off the roll because that roll, then I'd put a string in it and that became my microphone. So with that kind of an imagination and an ambition for broadcast, can you imagine what I would have done if I'd had my own YouTube? Right. Wow. Right. So I'll oh, have to tell Trey. Yeah. Shout out to Trey Jam. He's actually going to be helping me with some of my works. Now I'm relying on my 13 year old. And of course, <laughs> it's awesome, just so though. amazing. So Ruth says, how exciting and intriguing to hear Joe's background. What advice would he give someone who aspires to write but lacks experience? I had zero experience. So I would just say start. Um, just start. Mm -hmm. that, that's, that's it. Um, and, and, and if you can write or even try to write, um, do that. Now, you know, I, I know there's a big distinction between fiction and nonfiction. Um, nonfiction is where I live, and that's you know, research and um, so that's you know, sort more, of, more uh, challenging in a sense because you can't you you have no, to do the research. Oh no, no, no. I I think fiction is way more challenging. Um, really? Because you're you know you're talking about character development and story arcs <laughs> and you know that kind of stuff. I listen to Michael talk about that kind of thing, and it's like, you know, it's 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 just a foreign language to me. Um, yes. You know, doing doing this is a way of. Um, uh, you know, doing nonfiction is is just a way of, of aggregating existing material primarily. Um, aggregating content. Communicating it, yeah. So, yeah, um, yeah. tremendous respect out there for, uh, for you know, fiction writers. And, th and that's challenging, too, to, to get published. Um, although there, again, way different. You because know, I was out there marveling and stealing any publisher's time. And uh, nowadays, you can, you know, just do it yourself. My, my recommendation to Ruth, because I, I, I am helping people write their books as well, um, it, I, I love to see people becoming authors, and it is a lot easier today using your tools. Uh, I love that there's a lot of Facebook groups you can join today. There's, uh, there's meetups for people who aspire to become a writer. You can take classes. Um, I love how Stephen King says in his book on writing, just write and create your own style. Sometimes you don't want you don't want to be the style of someone else you want to be unique and have your own voice right yeah and just do it just, just start just do it and and get people to help you become accountable to that i'm always happy to be up to that task the book accountability partner is what i'm kind of being known for right now so uh joe um thank you so much so uh, as we conclude this amazing interview with you uh this is a question i often ask my guests so as we know, time is promised to no one. And one day when you pass on this earth, what do you want to be known for? Being a good father. That's it. Oh, that's it. The rest of this is all ephemeral. You know what I mean? It's, um, you know, there's been billions of books before mine. There'll be billions of books after mine. You know, and if, and if, and if while I'm doing it, I have an opportunity to entertain or to enlighten, you know, that's, 
you know, that's for this time. But, um, you know, I know my legacy or lasting impression, um, a chance to, you know, to um, uh, affect society is to make sure that I, um, you know, I'm a good father to my kids and then they in turn are good to other people and that sort of thing. So that's that's it. That's wonderful. Well, I'm sure they love you as a father and, and who, you know, I can't even imagine all the conversation that has. <laughs> so what, what tips do you have for, for fathers and dads out there? As I, as we all know many that uh, when there's the years that are challenging, whatever that may have been, maybe, you know, teen years or college years, that kind of sort of thing. Um, you know, don't be a friend, be a parent. Um, and and uh, doesn't mean that there isn't friendliness and that sort of thing, but you know, don't be a friend, be a parent, um, and unconditional love. Yes, that's wonderful. That's thank you, Ruth. She's an incredible lasting impression. So, thank you, Joe, for being on Happy Lifestyle Online. My and thanks pleasure. for everyone thank who's listening and following. And if you have a guest that you would love to recommend to us here at Happy Lifestyle Online, just go to Happy Lifestyle Online and write us. And uh, maybe if you want to be persistent as Joe gave in his, in his earlier uh, words of wisdom. Um, but it's really important uh, to get out there, do what you want, whatever that is. And if it's not to write a book, because we were today really talking a lot about writing books and being an author, whatever it is you want to do in life, uh, I really want to encourage you to do that thing. And if it's, that means reinventing yourself, that's what you do. And I'll leave with this quote by F. Scott Scott Fitzgerald, one of my favorite quotes. And I write this um, at the end of my book, Skip a Step. Um, I hope you live a life you're proud of. I hope you live a life that's true. And if you're not, I hope you have the strength to start over again. So thank you, Joe. And thanks, thank you, everyone. I'm Lisa Caprelli, and this is Happy Lifestyle Online. We were just talking with Joe Garner, six times New York Times bestselling author. Thank you for listening to Happy Lifestyle Online Show. For more information on growing with our community, follow us at happylifestyleonline.com. I'm Lisa Caprelli. Talk to you next time.